Hello, and welcome back to the Attribution Marketing Podcast powered by LeadsRx. On today's episode, we have Michael Kaminsky of Recast. Michael is the founder of Recast, and that is an AI-powered marketing platform for e-commerce and D2C brands that provides real-time marketing mix modeling, forecasting, and planning tools. Recast is able to optimize marketing performance by accurately measuring the true impact of marketing enabling marketers to deliver more returns for less money. I couldn't think of a better setup, a better guest, and a better tool for this podcast. So Michael, thank you so much for making time for us. How are you? Lucas, thanks for having me. I am thrilled to be here. I'm doing great. All right, so we always wanna start off just with that career arc. So let us know what even led you to this position, how'd you get into this business, and why'd you start Recast? Great questions. I've had sort of a a long and strange career. I started out um, in academia doing econometrics research, um, doing that both in the, in, in academia and in in the private sector, you know, basically doing the work of an econometrician doing research projects, publishing journal articles. From there, I moved into startups. Um, Most relevantly, I ran the, the data science team at a company called Harry's. They make men's grooming products, I think. Some of the listeners are, are probably very familiar with them. They were one of the like first generation of really big D2C brands. Um, there spent most of my time working with the marketing team on getting really good at doing marketing analytics. We built the internal multi-touch attribution tool there. We spent a lot of time thinking about LTV forecasting and churn prediction and just generally doing marketing measurement really well. As part of that experience, I, I learned a little bit about MMM and I or marketing mix modeling. I saw that most of the tools that were developed, you know, 30 or 40 or 50 years ago that a lot of the big CPG brands use weren't well suited for the pace of modern marketing and what modern marketers are, are really struggling with today. So left Harry's, founded Recast with my co-founder. Um, and we've basically been building that tool, trying to bring marketing mix modeling into the 21st century. Awesome story, man. I think a lot of people have heard of of Harry's and they do a really great job and they they sort of are the modern broadcast attribution methodology. Maybe if you, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but, um, you know, they could be running Facebook ads and uh, CPC ads, let's just say, but they're kind of doing the influencer marketing um, you know, TV, radio, omni-channel. Is that your experience? Is that accurate? Because I'm sure everybody here would be uh, interested to know a little bit more about what led to Harry's success. Yeah. So Harry's, I mean, started out as as pure D2C and really was focused on just a couple of channels. Um, again, probably a lot of the listeners are familiar with, but at that time it was still called Facebook uh, and Google. But then from there, they branched out, you know, Harry's is one of the first companies that was really heavy into podcast before podcast became the thing that it is today. And they, they advertise on TV. They do work with influencers. They have, you know, at least the time that I was there, total full funnel marketing mix. But also during the time that I was there, they started expanding out beyond just straight D to C, right? They have their harrys.com website, but then they also started selling at Target in store and Walmart in store and Amazon and all of the other distribution channels, grocery, drug, et cetera. And it was part of that growing complexity of the business that required getting a lot smarter about marketing measurement and making sure that they could really understand 
the full impact of the marketing dollars that they were investing, not just, you know, who used a coupon code on the Harry's D2C website, but also who heard the podcast and then purchased at Walmart. So let's uh, go a little bit deeper into the terminology that you've used thus far. You know, I think everybody is familiar with multi-touch attribution, but you seem to be more focused on uh, MMM. So will you just help everybody understand in layman's terms what the differences are between those two and maybe how marketers or advertisers would approach them differently? Yeah, absolutely. So multi-touch attribution falls under the class of tools that I like to call digital tracking. Um, and, you know, the most common one of these tools is Google Analytics, where you can see what people uh, clicked on or the ads that they engaged with prior to, to making a purchase on your D2C website. And then there's a bunch of other tools that also provide this service. Um, again, I think uh, LeadsRx is one of them. Uh, all of them have the same idea of let's try to track as much as we can of what people do online before they actually make a purchase. Um, and there's, they're really, really, really important tools for D2C brands, especially smaller brands that are in less complex media mixes. One of the problems with that type of attribution methodology is that it doesn't actually measure incrementality. Incrementality is the thing that we really care about as marketers for driving to an optimal media mix. We don't just care about, hey, how many people clicked on our branded search ad before making a purchase, but really, did we actually have to pay Google for that click or were they gonna purchase anyway, regardless of that advertising? And we care about that across all of our different advertising channels, not just who clicked on this, but who wouldn't have made a purchase if they would not have seen that ad. That's the idea behind incrementality. And marketing mix modeling is a way to estimate incrementality across the media mix and across channels that aren't necessarily trackable. So if we wanna know how much does changing our YouTube spend impact our Amazon sales and what's the incrementality of that relationship, you need to be running experiments or using other types of statistical modeling like MMM in order to understand that relationship. So we have done a few pieces, content pieces on incrementality, and I was hoping you could maybe just share with us your thoughts on, I think it's just like the complexity of it. So I can understand if Ford is selling F-150s and they do a Super Bowl ad and there's big spend and omni-channel, let's say, that you can probably get a bunch of smart people in a room and use the right software and do real science to get a statistically relevant result and, and some insights there. My question is, if you don't have that mechanics or infrastructure or media spend, is it possible to get a meaningful result out of that incrementality methodology? It's a really good question. I think for smaller brands, what I encourage them to do is, first of all, to start thinking about incrementality generally, right? Just like know that it's a thing and know that it's important and understand the limitations of different measurement methodologies. If you're a smaller brand, you can start thinking about doing incrementality testing, right? Which is running experiments. And there's a bunch of different flavors of this. 
Um, Meta, for example, offers the ability to run these incrementality lift tests via their platform. If you reach out to your Meta representative, they should be able to set this up for you. Effectively, what they'll do is they'll take your potential audience and they'll split it in two and they'll show your ads to some of them and not to the other ones. And then you can compare the relative purchase frequency between those two groups, between the groups that saw your ads and the groups that didn't. And it might be the case that a bunch of people who didn't see your ads actually do purchase, right? Because they're familiar with your brand or they've heard about you through word of mouth or they, you advertise to them on some other channel. And so the difference between those two groups is what tells you the incrementality. You can do similar things at like a geographic level. So you can, you know, run some type of ads in the west half of the western half of the country and no ads in the eastern half of the country and then look at the relative uplift with running those ads only in one half of the country, right? Maybe on some certain channel, maybe you buy local TV to do that or local radio or you just change your Google search targeting in order to exclude certain geographies. There's a bunch of things that you can do there to run experiments that can give you strong signal about incrementality. As brands get bigger and get more complex, and we're talking in the, in, on the order of $5 million a year paid media budget, $10 million plus dollars a year paid media budget, that's where it starts to potentially be worth it to bring out some of the bigger machinery in terms of you know, bringing on statisticians to do the MMM work or to, to do the, the example like you talked about for the Super Bowl ad or to work with a, with a company like Recast on getting an MMM set up. Okay, well said. I think uh, a fair and biased, uh, unbiased answer. Here's a couple other curveballs for you. So, you know, you, you talk to Facebook, they're setting up, uh, let's just call it an A-B test or an incrementality test. But I'm just curious on your opinion here as a, as a professional in the space, isn't that them basically grading their own homework inside of a walled garden and giving you the answer that, you know, I, I'm sure it's statistically accurate and that's fine, but don't you feel that maybe that isn't applicable across the rest of the marketing mix and follow up same, same vein that their answer is always going to be spun in a way that says, yeah, and you should spend more on audience B, you know what I mean? <laughs> like, you know the game there. So just do your best to answer all that. There's a couple themes, but um, knock it out. So I don't believe that. So I have a lot of faith in the way that Meta and Facebook run their Lyft tests. Um, one of the reasons why I have a lot of faith is I've seen Lyft tests come back the, in ways that look really bad for Meta and Facebook. Like it just doesn't seem like they're spinning the numbers because I've seen negative results from this where like, oh man, this these dollars are not incremental and it's Facebook's reporting platform that says that. So I don't think that that with this particular way of running a test that that Facebook is going to be misleading us. Um, other, you know, less established vendors, I don't know. Um, so I, I feel very confident in that. That being said, the reps interpretation or spin of those results, I have heard and seen some very strange things where like I look at the results and I'm like, this is very clearly saying that Facebook is not very incremental and it's not worth spending more onto this channel. But then the ramp tries to spin it some other way. So I would say if you are going to do this, make sure that you look at the results and you understand the underlying data and don't just listen to the salesperson who's trying to spin those results for you. Um, okay, I forgot the rest of your questions. Uh, fair enough. I think 
you know, you defended Meta there. I mean, I don't think anybody's lying, obviously, but I think my question is, and we could just segue sort of into the next one here is, okay, um, if Meta's running the incrementality test for you, but you're also running search ads and you got a remarketing campaign going and you know that Bob from Facebook visited your site and cookie that person. Now Bob saw your ad on uh, Yahoo Finance. Great. They click through. Awesome. Now Bob's back on Facebook. He's part of that incrementality test uh, for, for population B, let's say. Um, and he makes a purchase or doesn't. You see where I'm going with this? Meta doesn't know what you have. Maybe they do. You know, Maybe you have more experience or your reps can help you through this, but the the standard advertiser uh, doesn't share uh, Google data and Pinterest data and Twitter data and Reddit data and SEO data back with Meta. And so how is it that they can accurately, like from scientific terms, I realize like it's probably the best you can get given the ecosystem, but just speaking from a scientific standpoint, how, um, how can they answer that question accurately if they don't have the rest of your marketing data? So this is this is the beauty of it. And maybe it's easier to think about an analogy outside of the marketing sphere. So let's think about a randomized control trial like they do in medicine, right? A lot of people were following along with the results of the control trials they were doing to evaluate the effectiveness of the COVID vaccines back a couple of years ago. The way that those types of trials work is you take two groups of people who are eligible for the treatment, in this case, a vaccine, and you split them in two. One group gets a placebo and the other group gets the actual treatment. And then we don't know what other medicine or preventative actions those people are taking, right? Some of those people might be taking Tylenol every day or blood thinners every day, or, you know, some of them might have different amounts of uh, adherence to masking protocols, right? We don't really know, but the beauty of running an experiment this way is that we actually don't have to know if we have a large enough sample and the, the, the two samples are truly randomized, we can look at the difference between the outcome that we care about in, in the medical example, in this case, it would be like getting COVID and then be able to just say, well, we know what the intervention, we know what the impact of that intervention is without having to know about every single other, you know, medicine that these people might've taken during that time. And the lift test, when you're doing it with a Facebook works the same way. We take the group, we split them in half. We don't have to know about all of the other marketing that they might have seen. What we, what we control is whether or not they see Facebook ads because they're in the treatment group or not because they're in the control group. And so if you're in the control group, we expect that they're going to be advertised to in other channels. But the only thing that we care about estimating is the impact of Facebook advertising on their likelihood to purchase. So the results only apply to Facebook, of course, right? This is an experiment about Facebook. It can't tell you about what the impact of some other channel like Google searches or Pinterest or whatever, but it can tell you what the impact of the intervention of Facebook advertising is. Does that make sense? It does. Well said. I think I've probably asked that question uh, 10 different times uh, in various formats and places, but um you, you gave a really solid answer there and it makes sense. It, it's not going to answer across the entire picture, but if the baseline assumption is these two population groups are equivalent in every way besides one way, which is, did they see your Facebook ads or not? Then 
if your population is big enough, you could reach a statistically relevant insight just about Facebook. Is that? That's exactly right. You even summed it up even better than I did. So that was perfectly clear. All right, cool. One point me, uh, five points you. Well done. <laughs> let's, uh, let's move on to another one here. So as I'm sure you are aware, and everybody should be aware, uh, we're facing two big issues here. First one is um, third-party cookies are being deprecated across the entire marketing uh, tech stack and ecosystem. And then two, everybody's favorite third-party cookie tool, Google Analytics, is switching into Google Analytics Four. So this will be a two-part question. I'll just do the first one here. Um, what do you think the outcomes will be with third-party cookies going away? How can people prepare for that? Uh, and I think almost more importantly, how are people not prepared for that right now, knowing that it is in fact not only happening, but it's going to continue to get air quotes worse uh, for the advertising professionals out there? Yeah, really good question. Um, and I'll, I'll be honest, I'm not, you know, one of the top experts on this. There's a lot of people who have written some really smart things about what they believe is going to happen. I think within my narrow field of, of attribution and measurement, I think there's a couple of things for people to be aware of and to start thinking about. So the first is that digital tracking type tools are going to have less insight into in they're just going to have less ability to track people across the internet across different services and so we should expect that we have less in that we have less confidence that we're actually seeing the full universe of the way that an individual engages with our brand prior to making a purchase and i think so so that's the key thing to realize and then what i think people should be doing about it is really just expanding their tool set for understanding different ways of measuring incrementality and so this goes back to this idea of like, how can you start, how can you run your first incrementality test at your business? Um, and it doesn't have to be perfect and you don't have to do it in all of your channels. You don't have to boil the ocean, but you should start thinking about, okay, as we're losing signal, what are the things that we can start doing that are going to help to make up for that signal loss, at least in our most important channels? And so I think the best marketers today are getting out in front of this problem by thinking about, okay, well, if we aren't going to be able to track everyone all of the time across the internet, what else can we do? And they're starting to lay the groundwork of learning how to use these other methods, learning how to interpret them so that as signal continues to degrade into the future, they aren't just flying totally blind. And they feel like, okay, we're empowered. We have a strategy. We know what we can do in order to make up for that signal loss. Yeah, fair point. So maybe just expand a, a little bit and maybe I'll try to tee it up for you. You know, you see all the time, at least we see uh, people switching to first party data. And I, I believe you mentioned at the start of your answer that you might not be um, an expert in this category, but I, I think you'll see where this is going. So, you know, Right now, if I want to go shop on Amazon, um, I log in and now all of a sudden I've, they're not relying on Google Analytics to tell them who I was and what I clicked on and, and what I care about. That's not a Google Analytics cookie. That's an Amazon cookie. That's first party data. Now they're the best in the world at this. Now you look at say Best Buy, you look at certain Shopify sites, even these smaller brands are saying log in first. And then we'll, we'll show you the experience. And it's in that method that the 
uh, client is able to collect a first party cookie and the rules are still apply to those first party cookies. And so I'm, I'm wondering if you know a little bit more about that or how folks might be able to transition to that first party environment. Um, and what maybe your tips and tricks would be to help people get, get into that space, or maybe you don't think it's necessary because of sort of your, your probabilistic style approach to it might, might not make that a requirement. So go ahead. Yeah, no, I mean, I'll just say, I do not know the answer to this question. I am not up to speed on these different cookies. I'm curious if you have a perspective on that on the recast side, we don't do any digital tracking. We don't use cookies at all. So we're like totally not exposed to this world. We want to develop a tool that is totally independent of digital tracking at all. Um, so I'm curious, like, what are y'all like, what is your perspective on this, on the use of first party cookies? What problems does that solve and what does it not solve for these brands? Yeah, sure. Fair, fair enough. Um, basically, you know, if you don't control the data, then you are not, uh, in compliant with GDPR and CCPA and all these other regulations. And so the big tech players, Apple, Chrome, Google, uh, they are depreciating first, uh, third-party cookies. That's why any app you use on your iPhone now says, ask apps not to track because nobody wants Candy Crush to know that you looked at this site, then the next site, then the next site. Why? Because that third-party tracking tool builds that data on you and then sells it back to the advertising networks and Facebook and Google or, or LiveRamp or whoever else wants it. That stuff's going away. That's crippling those businesses. We were a third-party tool. It was totally fine, as was everyone else, as is Google Analytics. The universal analytics pixel is third-party, but Google Analytics 4 is now eliminating that and living in an entirely probabilistic methodology where they don't tell you it's specifically Michael on my site. They're telling you that uh, there's a hundred Michaels on the site. And in general, 13% of them did X and 8% of them came from this source. And so, you know, what Leaser X was able to do is just kind of retool their technology and utilize a first party pixel. And all that really means is instead of it serving up when you get to somebody's website that it loads adtracker.com and hotjar.com and googleanalytics.com. Instead, it's going to load the client's domain and that therefore circumvents, you know, the privacy issues because, you know, Michael signed into Amazon. Michael wants to be on Sally's Shopify site and therefore Sally, because he clicked the little box that you see everywhere now, please accept all cookies. When you click that and say, I do accept cookies. You're telling in a first party one-to-one -one relationship that Michael's cool sharing his data with site X and then therefore site X can track you and, and learn things about you. That is the best of the best that's out there is first party tracking and it allows the old methodologies of multi-touch attribution to, to persist in the best way that's technically possible. Um, so does that kind of make sense how I broke that down? Yeah, no, it, it makes a lot of sense. But so there, the there, there's still you know like cross device problems, right? Because those cookies are only on a per device basis. Is that right? Correct. Co correct. So if but but if okay, so Michael signs in Amazon 
on his phone. He got the first party data. A day later, he comes and checks back in on his computer and he's not logged in. Your software can then say, hey, well, 92% chance this is still Michael or it's from Michael's household. And with your own software, you can then stitch those journeys together to be like, I can't tell you for a fact that this cookie is in fact this person, but it's extremely, extremely likely that this is the same individual. So I'm going to give it a 94% probability that Michael's Michael. Now, if on device number two, Michael then logs into Amazon, boom, you're now hitting that same cookie technology again. And cookie number one captures the email address. And cookie number two that was on the mobile device also had the email address. We unify that on the back end and say that both these cookies are Michael because he logged in. And so it's that sort of Amazon-ish tech, but it, it's all about a one-to-one -one relationship, not Michael tells Google Analytics who he is, Google Analytics tells someone else who Michael is, and then lets, lets us, you know, retarget you around the web everywhere you go. Um, and that's the challenge. And, and I think that's, that is what is happening. When you see the changes that Google Analytics 4 is making, it, they're essentially saying, well, we're not going to tell you who's who, but you know what? Our ad product, Google Ads, is still going to get a lot better because we're still going to let you target this person, but only through us. Because yeah. Michael told us who he is and he typed his thing into the search bar. So we know everything about him because he's logged into Gmail. But you can't get that. Whereas before you could more or less get that by saying the free Google analytics script that I have on all my sites that everybody's using will allow me to do retargeting and all this stuff. And, and that's kind of going away because of the regulation. I think it, it's hard to say that's the right thing to do, but the, the intent of all the regulation is, you know, stop spamming me with the ads and I care about my own privacy. Therefore. If I want to opt out, I can. And if I don't want to accept the cookies, I can stop tracking me. So you see Europe fall in line with that. And you see California and other states fall in line with that. And so the technology is uh, being forced into compliance, let's just say. Fascinating. Yeah, this is really interesting. As I mentioned, I'm not as much in this world because we don't do any tracking, but it definitely seems like a bunch of really hard problems to go solve for these brands. Yeah. And... You know, I think there's an opportunity. I'm sure your brand is pivoted around. There is no tracking, but in a certain regard, and this is just, you know, throwing it out there that you could say, extend your product to say now with first party tracking, uh, and we, we do have some partnerships and some B2B relationships that work like that. So, uh, maybe we can discuss that offline or if you're interested, we can, we can follow up, but end end sales pitch now, uh, moving on. Moving on to content. Um, so look, tell me a little bit more about the broadcast approach to what Recast is able to do, because a lot of the clients um, that still work with Leads Rx still do traditional print, radio, uh, terrestrial TV, things like that. And there's still a big market there. There's still a lot of spend as all those dollars leave traditional and go into digital. Um, you know, th there's an even greater and more affordable opportunity in some of those traditional channels and folks still want to know how it's working. So talk us through how Recast supports kind of the radio folks out there. Yeah. So the way that Recast and, and all MMMs in general work is um, what we do is we look at, we look at, we look for patterns in aggregate data. 
So effectively, what we're going to do is we're going to ingest, you know, data from a brand about how much did you spend on all of your different marketing channels going back into history for the last couple of years. Um, and for brands that advertise on TV and radio, some days they'll spend a little bit more and some days they'll spend a little bit less and some days they're spending on Facebook. And then that goes up and down and investments in Snapchat go up and down and maybe there are three weeks where they experimented with TikTok and then turned it off. And what we're going to use is we're going to use our statistical econometric and machine learning algorithms in order to find relationships in that data. And it might be the case that, hey, look, we can identify that on certain days when you spend a little bit more on radio controlling for all of the other marketing activity that's happening, you tend to generate a little bit more revenue on that day and on subsequent days. And then we can do the math to figure out, okay, that implies an incremental cost per acquisition of radio of $43. Same thing for linear TV, same thing for print, same thing for all of these other channels. And in fact, we treat linear TV in, in the statistical model exactly the same way that we treat Facebook. They're not treated any different because it's all just aggregate data that the model is looking at. And that allows you to get, you know, this top down picture of how each different marketing channel is working without relying on any tracking at all. And we don't, we don't want to rely on tracking because we don't necessarily want the model to be biased towards digital channels in favor of other channels. And so it's really this idea of what's the, from this very high level view, what seems to be performing once we control for all of the other marketing activity that's happening. Yeah, that's cool. It's like, uh, instead of multi-touch attribution, it's, it's, it's sort of your Facebook incrementality example, but applied to all channels, you know, simultaneously, you treat everybody equal, you treat every visit equal and you say, you know, Hey, uh, knowing what we know about when you ran radio, when you, when you were getting a boost in traffic from Facebook organic versus Facebook paid, this is what we think across the board. Is that, is that accurate? That's exactly right. That's exactly the idea behind this. And, and so the idea is, look, let's try to measure the incrementality of all of these channels continuously over time. But in general, we're often not getting as precise reads as what you can get with a true experiment. And so there's trade-offs here about granularity and how precise of a read you can get on any individual channel, but that's 100% the idea. Awesome. Well, I think uh, you're well-suited for a future of no tracking is allowed. So, you know, kudos to you for putting together such an awesome product. Why don't we just finish off with a quick plug here. Let us know where folks can find you, whether that's Twitter, LinkedIn, or, or directly on the site, just uh, let the audience know who's facing some of these challenges, where they can get a hold of you and how can they uh, deploy recast. Yeah. On Twitter, I'm at Mike underscore Kaminsky with a K. Uh, you can find me at Michael Kaminsky on LinkedIn. That's where I post a lot of content about measurement and marketing image modeling and experimentation. And then you can check out our website, getrecast.com. Thank you so much, Michael, for being on the show. If anybody out there is facing these attribution challenges and they want to approach the MMM modeling and uh, deploy a new cool tool uh, to get an accurate look at their marketing spend and how to improve those results, definitely recommend you go check out Michael and Recast. That is it for today, folks. This is the Attribution Marketing Podcast. Signing off.